Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. I'm Dusty Slay. I'm your host, and I'm here with my wife and co-host, Hannah Hogan Slay-ish. Woo! Uh, we're very excited to be here. Uh, this is a special Tuesday morning podcast. Uh, I'm about to fly out of here and go to New York City where I'm going to be doing various things. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but I'm going to be doing various things to support the new Netflix special that has come out uh, today, January 16th. I don't know if we'll put the podcast out today or if I'll wait till Thursday to put it out, but it is being recorded today as the podcast, uh, as the Netflix special Working Man has come out. I've decided that I'll only talk about it 50 or 60 more times uh, on the podcast and then that's it. And then that's it. Uh, but it's out now. I'm getting uh, messages from my friends saying very nice things. It's only been out since 2 a.m., so there's, you know, still time. Uh, as it's it sta- still time. As it stands, yes, I was at the grocery store today, and uh, I was able to shop just fine. People did not bombard me. I am not um, an extremely famous celebrity, although I did get stopped in the parking lot by a guy. And uh, he talked to me for a minute, and it's it's snowing outside. He was inside his own car with the heat on, and I was outside in the elements, uh, and it was very cold. So was he talking to you um, just because you look like a guy that can weather the storm, or is he talking to you because he, you look like that guy from TikTok? He knew who I was. He goes, you dusty slay? He goes, I didn't know you lived in Hermitage. He said, I... Um, um, I saw you, and I said, that guy looks like Dusty Slay. And then I heard you talking, and then I knew it was you. (laughs) Yeah. The voice gives it away. Hannah called me in the grocery store and gave away my disguise. Your voice is a great blessing and perhaps at times a curse. Well, you know, uh, years ago, uh, my friend, this was when I was still drinking, my friend and roommate called this girl that we both knew and impersonated my voice and she thought it was me. Oh, wow. And, um, and so did you guys end up dating? No, we did not. Did he prank her? Or I don't know what he did. She just thought it was me. And I thought, well, that's pretty scary. Yeah. I definitely feel like only men could do your voice because it's so deep. You got that baritone. Yeah, and at the time I was a heavy smoker and drinker, so my voice would be a lot raspier. So it was uh, it was a bit easier to do it. That's it's sexy. Like a I bet Wolfman that... Jack type thing. Oh yeah, I bet that your voice is really pleasant on a podcast. Uh, maybe so. I mean, we, uh, you know, I think uh, our listeners enjoy it. I think so. But you know, it's I, I my look. People, I did a bunch of radio yesterday, like tons of radio, and people kept asking me about my look, and they were like, so is this just something that you created or whatever, and it's like, what look is something that people didn't create, right? And it's like, I feel like I've always been searching for my look. If you were to go throughout my 
childhood, all the way through my adult years, you would see many, many different looks. I had lots of different looks. My default look was always kind. Now I have, this is my third time in my life having long hair. Now this has definitely been the longest amount of time that I've had long hair, but I had long hair when I was about 19 or 20 to 21. And then I had long hair probably when I was about 26 or 27. But my default go-to was kind of this bowl cut Alabama swoosh look. Uh, And for a long time, I didn't think I could grow a beard. So it was clean cut. And then I had glasses. I looked a little like Austin Powers. At times when I, when I had, you know, was in fairly good shape, I looked pretty good. It was a good look for me. But as I started to gain weight and it, my, I, I got bloated in the face, my face became more round. And then I got these really thin metal glasses that were square and it just looked, it was a really bad look. And I looked like that for a while. And that was when I was, you know, at my most professional stage in spectricide. I was, uh, you know, in the daytime, I was a professional sales rep for a pesticide company. And at night, I was a raging alcoholic uh, who was blacked out and, you know, uh, probably saying bad things to people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, in an attempt to be hilarious. And oftentimes was very funny. You were mouthy. Yeah, I mean, it would offend people sometimes and they would get mad at me, but it was hilarious. I mean, I was, you know, I'm obviously a very funny. And uh, even back then I had a real, I had a real sting about me. Were you more of an angry drunk or a fun drunk? A little bit of both. I wasn't necessarily one or the other. I was very fun. People love to party with me. But yeah, I mean, I could hit a place where suddenly I got angry. Suddenly some old childhood insecurities risen up inside me and I would, or maybe some anger towards my parents would come up and I would take it out on people in some blacked out state mm-hmm. that I was in. Yeah. Some deep darkness would rise up from inside of me. Now, was there any self-reflection during your, you know, 12, 13 years of deep alcoholism? Were you were you constantly battling yourself the whole time? Like, I got to stop this? Or did it happen more in your kind of late 20s where you're like, maybe I've got a problem? No, I have journals uh, that I would write because this was before social media. You know, I was talking about this with a guy out in Texas not long ago. And it's like before smartphones, before the internet, before this ability to be able to write things and people just be able to see them, I would carry a camcorder around with me. I have all kinds of filmed footage and I would write. I would write things down. I kept journals. I wasn't consistent with it, but I have lots of journals where I would periodically just go in there and write. And I was always, even back in my early 20s when I just moved to Charleston, I was telling myself to stop drinking. I mean, so 
because early on, I noticed this real problem with it where I would be drinking and having a good time and then it would go too far and I would blow up on people and I would get into get into these fights, more more verbal altercations, sometimes physical. And uh, and then I would go home and write about these things and I would live in this in these hungover days. I would live in this regret of the way I acted and I would, you know, write about God in my journal and write about how I needed to quit drinking. And um, you have lots of those. And, And what I was talking about with this guy, though, is how it's like. Back in this time, you would, and you know about this because you kept a lot of journals too, but you would write in these books almost like you were some, and I say you just in a general sense, not you personally, but you would write in these books as if you were a prolific writer who one day your writings would be discovered by people and they would go, wow, this is really something. Because otherwise, Who's ever going to see what you're writing down in these books? No one would ever see them. Now we have an ability to write and immediately share it with people. We can put video. We can go, oh, I have a thought. And we say it into our phone and then put that immediately out on the Internet for people to consume. Yeah, absolutely. And they say that one writes because no one listens. Yeah, you told me that after um, after our last podcast where I talked about that. But yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I feel like, you know, my family was always good to me. I, I don't feel like I had neglect and things like that. But I often felt pretty lonely as a kid. I mean, I, you know, I would spend time at my dad's house off in the country. And it was mainly a lot of these people would later become my friends. But the people I was hanging out with at my dad's house were my stepbrother's friends. He was a year older than me. And so all of his friends were a year older than me and they were all his friends all the time. And then I would come up every other weekend and we would all hang out and it was fine. I got picked on some by them, but nothing really bad. Just typical being the smallest kid in the group kind of picked on. Um, uh, But um, and then at my mom's house, you know. I, I enjoyed school growing up. I really liked the school that I went to. Opelika school system was always a lot of fun for me. Uh, but I lived a little bit further out of the city in this trailer park. So most of my friends didn't go to school with me. They went to, a, they went to Beauregard, another school. And, uh, and there wasn't very many of us. So I had a lot of kind of lonely times. And I would write in these books and I would draw a lot of pictures and I think that boredom was really good for me. Yes, especially living in the country as I did as well. I mean, when I think of my childhood in general, the overall feeling is just how bored I was. Yeah. And I couldn't wait to move to the city. Yeah, you know, and I think that is what was going on with me, too. It's like uh, Opelika is not some tiny, small town. And and, and Peterborough is bigger than Opelika, where you grew up. It's not some tiny, small town. But in in the real sense, they are pretty small, isolated places. And you're like, you really want to get out. And there's just this feeling about the city back then where it's like, if I could just get to some kind of city and be around people. And I think that was the real appeal to me with drinking. Uh, I never was like a real sit around the house and drink guy. You know, I wanted 
to be out. And I was like, when I, and I was always so young looking that I was always afraid to do a fake ID. So it was always, so when I turned 21, I was like, now I'm allowed into these highly social places. And it was really great to just be able to walk in and be like, wow, look at all these people hanging out. Because that is what I missed about school. I mean, I wasn't a guy that liked to skip school because I liked the social aspect of school. I mean, I like to lay out of school a day here and there, but I liked going there because I wanted to be around people and I wanted to talk to people. I've always thought of you as sort of a connector uh, for a couple reasons, because you, at least from my vantage point, are someone that people like. Like you're just someone people like to talk to. Perhaps it's the voice, perhaps it's the look. It's very approachable. Yeah, I do. I do get that, too. And um, uh, yeah, I like talking to people. I mean, I have a lot of fun with it. I mean, the problem now that I that I have is that my job is constant talking. And so I'm always I'm going to all these cities and I go in and I, I talk to, you know, hundreds, sometimes thousands of people in a weekend. And, and then after I do these meet and greets where I'm rapid fire meeting people. So during the day, it's like, I don't want to do anything. Oftentimes I go to a city and I just want to sit in my hotel the whole day because I just need to not talk. Well, what a reversal from what you needed as a child. Like you wanted to be listened to, you wanted to be the center of attention. And now seemingly you've achieved that and it's somewhat exhausting. Yeah, well, it it I used I I used to say this a lot and I probably said it on this podcast several times, but doing comedy like it used to be uh, I was such a like high energy kind of like center of attention like I just needed it, right? I would do in high school I would do all these crazy things like I would run through the hall and trip and fake a seizure or I would bleach. Yeah, I would do that all the time. Or I would bleach my hair or I would wear these crazy shirts. I had skull t-shirts. I had a, I had a t-shirt with a like a surfer and his surfboard was like a big joint. And he had a speech bubble that said hi, but it was H-I-G-H. And I had a pink Hooters shirt that I used to wear all the time. I had all these crazy kind of shirts. And I had boots that had flames on it. And it was all just about getting attention. I just, I loved it. I craved it. And when I finally started doing comedy at a decent level, where I was actually like, oh, okay, I'm doing this and I'm getting my laughs this way. It, it like allowed me to be a normal person. I'm like, finally, now I can go to a party. I can hang out with people. And I actually don't want to be the center of attention. Like family gatherings and stuff. I find myself really wanting to just be uh, a normal person hanging out with the family, having some conversation. A lot of my family is not that into conversation. So it makes it difficult for me because I just want to go and, you know, have talks. I hear people talk about having these political debates and arguments with their family. And I'm like, I wish, I wish we had some kind of debate and, and, 
uh, you know, we'll have arguments, uh, but that'll be about some deep-seated family issue, uh, but never, uh, you know, and not, and not all family. I do have some family where we have some really good conversations, but for the most part, we don't get that. But it's like, um, I don't want to walk in and be like, all right, the party's here. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Because that's not who I am. Are you self-conscious about it? Like you're conscious about like not walking in, acting like you're big time or something within your own family? Well, I think there's something to that too. uh, Because it's like, I find sometimes that it doesn't matter who you used to be before. Now that you don't live in your uh, hometown and now that you like uh, are, are like a comedian, big time or whatever, when... I make fun of things. Like if I go out somewhere with my mom in Opelika and I make fun of the restaurant, you know, she'll always make some comment. Well, I'm sorry, Opelika sucks or I'm sorry. And it's like it has nothing to do with Opelika. I criticize restaurants all over the country, no matter how big the city, no matter how famous the city, all these restaurants suck. There's a few really good restaurants. In fact, Cafe 123, right there in downtown Opelika, very good restaurant. Very good. Jim Bob's is my favorite chicken finger place in the world. Yeah, I think that we can be, you know, relatively snobby, I'm sure, uh, to some of our family. Just not because, you know, you're a comedian or whatever, Um, And you're all worldly and traveling all around. But just through virtue of the fact that both of us lived in pretty major metropolitans for most of our adult life. So in city living, you get the best food, you get diversity of food, you get diversity of people, diversity of thought, different types of uh, entertainment that perhaps cultivates you. You get exposed to bookstores and different resources that um, can kind of like deepen, you know, your awareness of various things that maybe um, people who stay in smaller towns or in the country, unless they're seeking it out, just aren't exposed to. So I could see how, how we could seem a little snobby when we're like, you know, this place doesn't have bottled water. Well, you know, that's a uh, real Opelika thing there with the no bottled water, which I still find ridiculous and I don't think is a reflection on Opelika. I don't know why those places I went to didn't have bottled water, but uh, bottled water is not even a thing anymore. It's like, it's just like, like asking for bottled water is like, you can buy it at the grocery store for 79 cents. I mean, it's not anything. Well, you don't need bottled water when you're drinking Cokes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And that's what everyone's drinking. That's out here. true. That is true. But, you know, uh, but I get what you're saying. And that is true. I mean, Charleston is not some huge city. But when I moved to Charleston and started to eat at those restaurants, Charleston, at least when I live there, I'm sure it's the same. But when I live there, I feel like Charleston had like the best restaurants in the country. Obviously, New York City is going to be really great. Toronto, not in the country, but it's like got, you know, all the best stuff. I've been there and I've ate in both of those cities. You know, all the huge cities have really great food. But Charleston, for the size of city that it was, I mean, it had this incredible food and nothing compares. Like you go to places after Charleston and you're like, wow, this does suck. Yeah, and also, didn't your pal in Opelika say, oh, you're big, 
big city in us when we were complaining that there was no coffee shops yeah. open on the day after Christmas, I think. Well, yeah, and I don't know if, he, and he might have just been joking around with me, but like, I'm like, here we are two, three days after Christmas, and the three coffee shops downtown Opelika are still not back open and ready to go. It's like, I understand Opelika is smaller than Nashville. I understand it's smaller than uh, Charleston, but I'm like, it's Wednesday. Christmas was Monday. It's Wednesday. Let's get back to work. Don't try to blame the size of the city for your lack of work ethic. Because also, you know, people are shopping the day after Christmas and people are shopping the two days after Christmas. And my friend who said that, his restaurant was open. He was, he said he was taking out the trash uh, and heard me talking at the open mic through the microphone. And that's why he came over there. He was working. The bar was open that I was doing comedy at. The pinball machine, um, whatever you would call that, the pinball. Arcade? Arcade, yeah, I guess you call it a pinball arcade. They were open. It's like, let's get the coffee shops going. Yeah. Let's get, I mean, I wanted, we wanted a coffee. And we could changed, not Dusty. find it. You've changed. Yeah. And uh, I can't, I do, I can't see how like, because people will do that. People will big time their old hometown. Once they move away to a bigger place, they will come back and they'll like dog their hometown out. But I love my hometown. And, um, uh, you know, I think it's got some great things going. The downtown has like a fine dining restaurant. There's a cigar shop. There was an open mic. I just want the three coffee shops that are there. I just want them to be open. Yeah, That's all I want. Yeah. I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. Well, we're talking about how you're big time and your family and community um, don't get it. They don't get it. I don't get it. I feel like sometimes you're big time in me. Well, uh, sometimes uh, you get in a little elite. None of this. None of this last part is true. What you're saying. Mm. I'm not big time in anyone. I, um, you know, it's like, um, in fact, I'll say this, like me and my mom, we were in Tigertown that time trying to find some bottled water. And I'll say this, when I was growing up, growing up an Opelika kid, I would go over to Auburn and I would feel like Auburn was this very fancy part of town and I would feel not good enough to be in Auburn. I would feel like Auburn was big time in me. Um, And so... You know, so I always have had this uh, high mindedness about Auburn. I've always felt like Auburn was this very kind of big time place. So Tigertown is like kind of inching into Auburn. Tigertown didn't exist when I was growing up. But so when I go into Auburn, I have a high expectation for them. So when the place sucks at Auburn, I'm like, what are you doing? You got all this. You got all this money here. You got all these students here. You have every opportunity in the world to be running a great business. So if it's not doing well and it sucks, I'm like, what are you doing? Is there a place, a city, or maybe a comedy venue that has intimidated you recently? Um, 
I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. Where have I been recently? Let's see. Let's look at some of the previous places I've been and just... You went to the West Coast? Um, You're going to New York. Well, let me just see here. A lot of these places that I've been to recently, I have previously been to. You went to Austin, right? Yeah, I went to Austin, but I had been there. I mean, I would say doing the mothership, which I am booked. I have a weekend booked for the mothership in in later this year. That's very exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I will say, you know, the mothership is, uh, uh, you know, was intimidating to me. Yeah. Uh, Because, you know, it's, you know, I mean, I'm not like such a fan of all the people that make up the Joe Rogan crew, right? I'm not such a fan of those comics, but they are big time, mm-hmm. you know? They're the best, they're the they're the coolest of the cool. I mean, I feel like they have the comedy stranglehold on things. I mean, yeah. they are the top dogs. And I'm not saying I don't like them, but that's not necessarily my style of comedy. I like a dry sense of humor. I like, you know, the Mitch Hedbergs, the Todd Berries, the Jim Gaffigans, uh, the Mike Berbiglias, uh, that is, and Mike Berbiglia got into being more of a storyteller, which I'm okay with, but old Mike Berbiglia, where he was straight up doing stand up, I really like that kind of stuff. And, and those are, that's my kind of comedy, you know? So, you know, kind of bro comedy is not my thing. I can, I can get down with it. There's, you know, obviously Burt Kreischer and, uh, Shane Gillis and Tom Segura have some very funny stuff. Are those the Joe Rogan comics? I would think so. Okay. You know, obviously Joe Rogan has like a, a crew of people like that are smaller time comics Yeah. that, you know, but I, I would say Joe Rogan, Tom Segura, Burt Kreischer. I mean, they're right. all kind of in that yeah, club yeah. together. They, they're, they're frequent guests. Mark Norman and Sam Morell are, uh, I feel like they're a little more on my style of comedy and what I like. Uh, they're a little, you know, they're um, less dry, but Sam Morell's pretty dry. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I, I like that. I just like a slow paced kind of comedy. I really like Daniel Tosh. I feel like I Daniel Tosh, I forget about him sometimes. But he's a very smart comic. He's very underrated, I think. Mm-hmm. And I could be wrong about that. I, I, you know, I'm sure he's selling out arenas. There's just so many comics now. Um, you can have 10 favorite comics right now, and they could all be millionaires. Yeah. <laughs> they could all be crushing it in their own. I mean, it's a great time to be a comedian, and it's a good time to be a fan of comedy because, I mean, take your pick. I mean, flavor of the week, you know, you can just bounce from one video to the next and just really indulge in um, different types of comedy. It is a great time to be uh, a comic, especially at a lower level, because comedy is so hot on the Internet that if you're like, like even not long ago, like when I was coming up in comedy 2015, 2016, the big thing back then was to try to find a short joke and put it on a picture of you doing stand-up comedy and share that on the internet. So you would try to find your shortest joke and put it on a picture of you doing stand-up and hope people uh, got it written down. I mean, obviously video existed, but it wasn't. It wasn't reels because when I quit stand-up and I quit everything in May uh, 2019, 
There was no people just like just ubiquitous comedy videos on Instagram. You know, I I know people were posting on YouTube, but it didn't have that kind of catch that the algorithm developed or was developed during the pandemic. And I just think during the pandemic, a lot of stars were made. Um, a lot of people built their followings during the pandemic, you know, that didn't have one previously. And or um, people are now like if you're a stand up now and you're not posting stand up every week or some kind of funny content every week. I just it's just that's what you do now. It blows my mind when I see a comic and, and, and every week is hard, right? Especially if you're not getting tons of stage time. But when I go to their Instagram and they don't have any videos of them doing comedy, I'm like, are you even trying? And I'm like, when I'm looking for people like to, to work with, to, to do my show or to open for me and do stuff like that, and I go to their Instagram and they're not posting videos of themselves doing comedy, I'm like, well, you're not even trying. Why would I try to help you if you're not even trying to help yourself. Yeah, I think it's just and you it, there's so much potential just if you're on like the three main platforms. And you a know? good a good camera is expensive. I mean the the cameras that I use even for the podcast. I mean it is the cheapest uh camera you can get that's 4K. It's still a thousand bucks. Cameras get unreal. Uh that is the cheapest that you can get in my opinion for a 4k camcorder i mean it only goes up from there so i'm not suggesting that it's easy but it's like you got to do it you got to make it happen you are, can are people not recording on their cell phones a lot issues? of people record on their phones i personally i am totally afraid to do that like i don't want to leave my phone laying around oh, anywhere because yeah. it's like if you steal my camera i'm just out the money and i'm like that sucks and i hate that that happened but if you steal my phone I'm like, that's a real hassle. That's a real problem. I never thought about that. But all these comics living in New York and L.A., oh, my gosh, that must be a real problem, even just leaving expensive cameras out. Because I remember when I went to L.A. like five, six years, a long time ago, but someone tried to steal my phone in plain sight in Starbucks. Oh, yeah. Like just right in front of me. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's what happens all the time in L.A., but I am saying that is probably is. what happens all the time in L.A. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and just back to uh, recording, though, it's like if if the technology and, um, uh, you know, all that stuff had been around, say, 2012 when I stopped drinking and was really getting in, I was doing a lot of open mics, a lot of comedy. If cameras had been better than they were now i'm sure 4k existed into some you know whatever but they were even more expensive back then but if that kind of technology existed back then i would have been filming myself at every open mic i was doing and i would have been posting clips constantly i think i would have had a i think that things would have happened faster for me had the technology existed back then because i was writing shorter jokes i was more of a short now things happen the way they happen and i i love how it's all happening but i'm just saying when people are not posting uh their stand-up clips especially when you're not a headliner if you're not a headliner i would just put every joke that you have on the internet because it doesn't matter people are not coming to see you they're coming to see whoever you're opening for and you're just a bonus but if one of your videos blows up and you suddenly get a huge following, 
you could start headlining. Well, the thing is, 10 years ago, the technology existed. I mean, people were posting videos on the internet, but I, I think a few things, it's easy to see things in the rear view mirror, like I should have done this more, I should have been more on it. But I think that now it is just okay to be shameless, shamelessly posting on the internet. Well, that's true. And that, I don't think, was um, in the culture 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And I also think that, um, you know, people are afraid to be like that. But there were people that built their their empires 10 years ago. Joe Rogan started his podcast a long time ago. And many comics did blow up, like, from the internet 10, 15 years ago. But now it's just... It's sort of like, duh, like people realize we should have been doing this seven, eight years ago. Well, that's what I mean. It's like for sure it existed, but it did not exist the same way. Yeah. Um, And for sure it could have been done, but I'm saying things are cheaper now. Mm -hmm. And it's like Instagram when it started, I don't even know if you could post videos when it first started. Uh, Facebook you could, but it's like now with things like reels and um TikTok uh, and TikTok and uh, Facebook stories, Facebook. Fa- what is it? It's Facebook called Reels, Reels, I guess, on yeah. Facebook, too. And then YouTube Shorts. It's like now your videos can reach other people. It's like before with Instagram, it's like you post whatever on there and then whoever already follows you sees it. Yeah. But but now it's like YouTube existed and I was able to put stuff on YouTube and I did put stuff on YouTube. But even the editing was not where it's at now. Editing now is so easy. I remember like really scrambling in 2012 and 14 to to get someone to make a poster for me. And to it was the it was the golden age of the small time graphic designer because everybody was like begging them for posters and they all treated, even my friends treated us like crap with these posters. They would drag, drag their feet about it. And and it's like, I need the poster. My friend, Jason, he used to make the greatest posters and Jason would just drag around. I don't think he was doing it on purpose, but he would just drag around about getting the poster to you. And it's like, dude, I need the poster. And then I, I, I remember finally getting uh, iMovie and starting to be able to edit some stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, now I'm getting to do some stuff. And I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this at this point, but. Where do you think the internet's going in terms of uh, entrepreneurial artists trying to get their work out there, trying to build a following? Where Where do you think this is all going? Like in terms of like, if you like, where are you trying to be ahead of the curve right now? Well, I don't know, because it seems like with stand up comedy, it's like. Uh, it seems like crowd work is the way to go right now. And I think that it's the way to go for people because you don't burn your material. But I also get a fair amount of comments from people, random people going, thank you for always posting bits and not posting crowd work. Thank you. And I do post a little bit of it, but I'm never intentionally doing crowd work, but I do film all my sets. So if a little something happens, I'll go, Ooh, that's cool. I'll I'll try to cut that up as a clip. But, um, you know, it's hard to just keep posting bits of written material because oftentimes it's like, I don't want to give away my best stuff because I'm trying to make specials. So, um, 
you know, uh, so, but I, I, I think the crowd work thing, I do think it's changing. I think people are, are not wanting that on the internet. I, I think they will always like it live, but I think they're not wanting it on the internet so much. So I don't know where it's going, but I just think people are going to have to start working harder to write more jokes and because it's like, it's too easy for people to, um, like somebody sent me something the other day. It was like a time joke that these guys were doing. And it was like my joke. I don't think they stole it from me, but it's like my joke, you know, where I talk about, um, you know, um, I don't know why we keep track of time the way we do sometimes that, that joke of the five o'clock somewhere joke. And it's like, it's too easy for people to not have to do stand up comedy. They can figure out how to take these bits and ideas and make them some kind of online sketch. Or they can just lift it, lift your joke, and then turn it into a meme. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, you can do, you can you can repurpose jokes. You can repurpose ideas. You can, you know, add a picture and just kind of make it a little bit more powerful than than your joke in a stand-up. I think so much stuff is getting lifted now. Yeah. So much stuff. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, it's like the the meme stuff like that. It's like it is so hack. It's like you really hate to see it because, you know, it's like people work hard to get up in front of people and tell these jokes. And then these people just make memes and it gets more likes and more laughs. And even people, uh, people will do it with my videos sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll, um, you know, take a stand up video and they uh, lip sync it basically. Uh, and it and it's always fun, and I always enjoy it. And they usually tag me when they do it, so they're not just trying to steal it. But you'll go through and read the comments, and people will be commenting saying to the person lip syncing my joke. They'll be going, "Oh, you're so funny! Oh, you're so funny! Ha ha ha! You're so funny!" And it's like, well, they're just lip syncing something that I created. Mm-hmm. So why are you giving them the credit for being so funny? I just don't, I don't think that there's any, um, you know, I don't know, original thought anymore. If we're all living on our phones now, it's hard to even keep track of, was this my original thought or is this something I heard on a podcast or I heard on a clip or a meme that I watched at 3 a.m.? You know, it's just, it's so hard to be precious. Yeah about original thought i mean truly and especially since there's so many comedians now yeah there's going to be some lateral thinking here out here there's going to be people that have the same joke similar joke on it on the on a whatever subject and it's like what's so annoying is when now it's become so prevalent for people to try to call out somebody for stealing something that if a joke is even similar the comedy police are ready to come out and go, oh, you stole this from, it's like I had this joke where I go, and I did the joke one weekend, and then I thought, this is really kind of a, it's funny, it's getting a laugh, but it's kind of cheesy, Uh, I'm not going to keep doing it, so I'll just post it. And it was me saying something like, I asked my friend, did he want to get tacos? And he was like, oh, no, I had Mexican yesterday. Uh, you know, and I'm like, well, good thing you don't live in Mexico, right? You know, basically you can't eat Mexico, Mexican food two days in a row, that kind of joke. And I thought, well, this is getting a laugh, but this is not 
a great joke. I'm just going to post it. And people started saying that I stole that from this other guy. And then eventually somebody tagged him in there. So I went and found it and I eventually found his video. And I was like, yeah, I can see how these are similar. But he said, you know, his joke was basically like, my friend wanted to get Chinese food. And I said, I want to get Chinese food with my friend. And he was like, I just had it yesterday. I can't have Chinese food two days in a row. And he's like, well, good thing you don't live in China. And it's like, yeah, it's a very generic idea. Yeah, you know, I, I remember you were like on the road when you went out for Mexican with this guy or you went out for food with this guy and he said this and you had this interaction that created this joke. Like I remember you telling it to yeah. me because you were, you know, you had this sudden inspiration of this joke or this idea. And then you shared it with me and then I guess I just assumed you were doing it or not doing it online and then uh, whatever. And then a little while later you told me that, that this guy had, or these people were saying that you took it, but you know, People do honestly come by the same ideas. That's what really yeah. seems to. And then so what? Because someone put it out first, you're not supposed to do it. Or what if you just don't know that he's already put it out, which was this case with you? Well, that's what's so annoying, though, is it's like it's just like people like when they say you stole something, it's like, why don't you ask yourself? is this some great joke idea? Is this some highly intelligent original premise? Or is this kind of just a basic thing that anybody could come across? And that's my point is it's like, all right, if this was some long drawn out bit where you could point to different places and go, see, this is the exact same line here. And then this is, you know, then it's like, all right, yeah, that's probably was lifted. But when we're talking about uh, a generic food, it's like, it's to me, it's the most basic of things. America seems like one of these unique places where we don't necessarily have American food, right? I guess a hamburger, a steak or whatever, hot dogs could be considered American food. But even that, I don't think we call it American food, right? But we have all the food. We have the Italian food, the uh, Mexican food, the French food. I mean, we have everything here. So it's like we have these vast choices to be able to go and we could get, uh, you know, Vietnamese food today and Thai food tomorrow and Mexican food. But if you lived in Mexico, I'm sure there's a wide variety of food but it's all Mexican food, right? So that's my point. And I just think that's, that's the idea. And it's like, but I went and followed this guy and I tried to message him because I was just going to talk to him about the joke and say, hey, I'm not, because he had put it on a special, some sort of special. I forget his name. He's some piano guy. And also that's another thing that kind of annoys me. It, now I have some friends that do it, so I'm not, I'm not saying don't do it. But when people will pull out a guitar or the piano or some kind of musical instrument and just rattle off a bunch of quick one-liner jokes, it's like you're essentially eating up a bunch of premises. Like Mitch Hedberg did this too. It's like he's got all these one-liners and they're all premises that could be hashed out and made longer bits. But now that someone famous like Mitch Hedberg has made this a joke, like it feels like no comedian will ever be able to make escalator jokes 
or else you'll be uh, at risk of saying you're ripping off Mitch Hedberg. But is there more to joke about with an escalator being broke than it just becoming stairs? I think there is, but now it feels like it's off limits. If I do a joke about escalators, people are going to go like, oh, I liked it better when Mitch Hedberg did it. Yeah, and there's not that same judgment on musicians. I mean, there is millions of love songs. Yes. There are millions of heartbreak songs. Yes. There are millions of party anthems. You know, and and within each genre, there's the same old themes being rehashed. If you're in country, well, there's beer or whiskey involved. There's maybe a gun. There's maybe (laughs) some dirt and a truck. I mean, you know, it's all being rehashed. Especially new country. You can guarantee there's going to be beer, uh, a truck, some dirt. I know. I think we, if everybody just stepped back and just kind of accepted that like it's all out here you know right we're, we're all humans working within the same parameters now you know you could argue with mitch hedberg maybe that's the sign of his genius that it does make other comics feel like you can't touch it because he did it so well and his style was so unique yeah. that it can't be touched anymore but at the same time it's like well who says it can't be touched why right why don't you just do it Stop. Right. Like, I forget who, uh, who's the guy. He was a Louis, uh, fat guy, uh, comic, Louis Anderson. I had some joke out there that I put on the internet. Usually when I'll post uh, some of these jokes, it's like, all right, I've been doing the joke for a while, but it's probably not going to put it on any kind of special, but I like it. So I'm going to put it out on the internet. And I put some joke out and somebody was like, this guy stole this from Louis Anderson. And I'm like, do you really think I'm stealing from Louis Anderson? At this point, who is even the fans of Louis Anderson stand-up comedy? I get that he was great at one point, but I don't know anybody that lists Louis Anderson as a favorite of theirs when you ask them who their favorite comics are. And it's just so silly. It's like, all right, this is, I think the joke was about being late for work and how if I call in to my job and say, hey, I'm going to be a little bit late, now suddenly I'm relaxed. Suddenly I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'll take that coffee for here. I They know I'm going to be late. So I'll have the coffee here. And that's the point. But also sometimes with a premise, it's like, like you say about Mitch Hedberg, can you make this premise your own original spin? Can you make this this so original that it's your take and it's like when people will talk about my blackout jokes and say i stole it from amy schumer or i stole it from john mulaney i've gone back and i've listened to their jokes and our jokes are nothing alike the only thing that our jokes have in common is that we drank until we blacked out and did something stupid that's it other than that the jokes have nothing in common and it's like Uh, Okay, so either I stole the idea of blacking out from John Mulaney or I also drank until I blacked out and did something stupid. And you did. Many times. You did. I bet. 
I blacked out more than John Mulaney did. I'm not saying I did harder drugs than he did. I bet he did harder drugs than me. But strictly alcohol, I bet it would be tough to find someone that blacked out more than me. I mean, I blacked out. I was doing it weekly, multiple times a week sometimes. That's shocking and disturbing. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah. I blacked out maybe four or five times in my life. And every time I wondered if someone had done something to me. Well, I would imagine it's different to be blacking out as a woman than it is a man. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I wondered if I had just hurt someone's feelings or said awful things. And, you know, I did a lot of times. Yeah. But uh, I never really had the fear that someone did something to me or even that I did something to someone other than, you know, uh, hurt their feelings. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I wouldn't drink into oblivion like that. But I think if you're deep into the bondage of alcoholism, I think you can black out quicker. Yeah, I think so too. You get I, that little little weird look in your eye after and, two beers. And sometimes I would try to drink wine. And um, I would always drink when I would be trying to be healthier or whatever. And so I would drink a little wine. And just like every time, all I just need to get alcohol in my system to flip this switch in me that now says, well, you can do whatever you want. And then I start to drink whatever I want. I go, ah, oh, this wine's boring. Let's get into some whiskey, which is a real disaster. Every time I drank wine, it started off like a classy, oh, oh, look at us. We're fancy. We've just had some sort of meat, and now we're sloshing around some wine. Aren't we fancy? Oh, there's a hint of cedar. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, I'm blacked out, and my I'm all sweaty, and my shirt's off, and people are going, you got to get out of here. And... Uh, <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, get out of here. <laughs> but uh, I remember I, I drank a bottle of wine. I, I went out, had some wine, then had some whiskey. And then I drank a bottle of wine with a friend. Uh, it was a bottle of wine that someone had left at my house. And this was a guy friend of mine. And I just was like, hey, you want to drink this bottle of wine? And we drank it. And then he left. And I walked him, I lived in a weird kind of shady apartment complex. So I walked this guy out and I came back in and I woke up the next morning and I was laying flat on my back in my living room floor and my glasses were thrown across the room, had a really bad headache. And I think what happened was I got back to my apartment and I was walking to my room and my body just completely shut down and I just fell on the floor and uh, it was awful. I was really in a lot of physical pain because I had fallen, had a really bad headache and I was really hungover. And I had to do trivia later that night. And uh, I tried to get, I tried to do a little weed uh, to get rid of the nausea, which does work. It's great for a hangover. Weed is, but it makes you cloudy. And so I went and hosted the trivia and was very cloudy. And so, you know, in order to combat that, you start drinking again. And that's what I did. And it was, you know, a pretty awful experience. And Mm -hmm. I was very sad by the end of the night. And a lot of people think that's depression. And I'm like, that's why when people say they're depressed, but they drink a lot, 
I think you're not depressed, but you're killing your serotonin levels uh, by constantly drinking. You need to give yourself a day or two of sobriety to see if you can't get yourself back on track. You are the father of my children. <laughs> yeah. But I've not drank this month. At the end of this month will be 12 years that I've not drank. Mm. I mean, at this point, uh, my drinking stories, it feels foolish to even tell them. Because, you know, it's like, I started drinking at 17. But seriously... Uh, I would say I, I, I started to notice alcoholic tendencies at 21 when I started to be able to get into bars and legally drink. So I'm just going to say 21. I drank for almost nine years. Um, I would say eight and a half. So now I've now been sober for longer than the, the period of time that I would say I was an alcoholic. So at this point, it's like the drinking stories are way in the past. And it's just something I did as a, an idiot kid. Um, That's incredible, though, because I remember when I was, you know, really into weed for most of my 20s and well into my 30s. And, and I'd kind of, you know, be into weed heavily for days and weeks. And then I'd get off weed for a couple months. And I'd get a lot accomplished and I'd get a lot of wins or perceived wins. But then I would just kind of be in this loop of like on weed, off weed, on weed, off weed. And I always had it in my head and it was probably a self-fulfilling idea that if I could just get weed out of my life for good, long term, I would just kind of blossom into myself and become who I needed to be and be more productive and and present and um, you know, doing well in my life. Now, do you feel like now that alcohol has been so long out of your life that that's true for you? Uh, a hundred percent. I mean, alcohol was the worst thing for me. I mean, the moment it was out of my life, my productivity went way up and, um, yeah, I mean, I would not have I would not be where I'm at today had I not quit that. I would not have a Netflix special uh, uh, on the, uh, you know, on Netflix right now. I would not have, that would not be happening had I not quit drinking. Was I still funny and successful in comedy? In a way, yeah, I'd, I won the first, uh, you know, uh, Charleston stand-up comedy competition. My, the first time I won it, I was still a drinker, you know? So it's like, yeah, I was still doing well. And who knows what I would have accomplished, but the, the, uh, negative stuff that was, that I was doing as a drinker and just even health wise. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I, I see pictures of, and I don't know this guy at all, so I'm not criticizing him, but, uh, Sam, uh, who's the guy, Sam, he wrote a book, uh, comedian, he got big glasses too, kind of an overweight guy, uh, well, Sam talent, do you know Sam Talent at all? You know what he looks like? Well, sometimes when I see pictures of him and I, you know, hope I, I assume he doesn't listen to the podcast, but I see pictures of him and I think that is who I potentially would have been. And he's he's very successful, uh, but that's potentially the kind of comic that I would have been had I kept going. Now, is there any battles in sobriety in terms of what you've learned about how your mind functions when it is sober 
or, you know, what have been the um, obstacles of being sober that you maybe didn't anticipate that perhaps alcohol kind of alleviated or subdued for you? Uh, other than, you know, just times when, when I'm in my head, uh, I guess alcohol would take those kind of moments away, but then it would also bring them back tenfold though. It's like you get free from the thoughts in your head when you're drunk. And it's an amazing feeling that, that sometimes I miss, not that I'm haunted by thoughts in my mind, but you know, you, there's never a time when I'm completely free of my own mind. Um, whereas alcohol would give you that. But when I was hung over, uh, it would be back tenfold. Like hung over was nothing but thoughts in my head, nothing but pain in my body and, and, and thoughts in my head that I immediately had to push down and develop some kind of attitude of I don't care what anyone thinks just to combat my own consequences. Now, see, for me, I've always had a you know, healthy relationship with alcohol. I drank, you know, a lot and partied a lot when I was younger, but I can truly take it or leave it. Um, but one of the things I don't like about alcohol, which is generally why I don't ha drink a lot is I don't like losing control. I don't like feeling just, I don't know, like just a little bit mouthier or flightier or just looser. Um, but I think that that is part of the appeal for some people. And I wonder for you, because you're a very structured person, you, you're very like, this is the way I like to do things. I'm not going to say you're controlling, but there's aspects about you that can be, you know, you like to have control. Um, I wonder if yeah, you I mean, li I like things to get done the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, saying. you do, you have a system and you have a vision in almost all things, whether it's your career or whether it's rearranging the living room, it's yeah. like, let's do it the way dusty sees it. Well, now, but it's because a lot of times because people have no mental vision. So I'm like, let's do it so you can physically see it. <laughs> <laughs> because you're not able to conceptualize what I'm telling you right now. Yes. So let's let you see it. <laughs> and then if you don't like it, we can move it back. This is such a dusty thing to say. Let's do it and we can just see it and take a look. But I wonder if alcohol gives you a break from yourself to give you permission to lose control. Like, Absolutely. I wonder if that was part of the appeal that you can just... I can just let go for a second and not have to be so ordered. Absolutely. Absolutely. And on the reverse side of things, like you're talking about with weed, I've now stopped smoking weed. I have not smoked weed in like three months. Praise now, God. Now, I did take some edibles one weekend, but they were very low dose, specifically designed to help you sleep edibles. And I didn't find it to be effective. Didn't really enjoy it. I did do them, but you know, just full disclosure. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, in my daily life, my day-to-day -day life, I'm not doing it at all. I just planted 23 trees out on the land. And typically that's something I would love to do. Take a couple of tokes, get out on the land, dig some holes, get my hands in some dirt. That'd be a really fun, high activity for me, but I didn't do it. And I have noticed really no change in my life, uh, by not doing it. I kind of think that's why my 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 cough is lingering a little bit because I think my lungs are clearing up and I just think things are coming out of me. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I really noticed no change. 
which says that I don't think weed has really much of an effect on my life, uh, but also that I don't really need it. Uh, it's not maybe as enjoyable as I thought it was. Uh, and who knows where I'll be. You know, I could be back by the spring and summer when the sun is shining and it's beautiful and warm outside. I might like a little toke. But um, as it stands, I feel fine without it. I don't know that it was bringing anything to my life. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, But I also have not noticed some uptick in productivity because it's gone. I love that. I relate to that a lot, you know, because forever I just read my horoscope every day. And then one day, God just said, you don't need this. And I said, are you sure? And he's like, yep. And I just stopped reading my horoscope and I've been okay. Yeah, I mean, all of that stuff can be fun to do, but I have to keep myself from it because I don't believe it's right. Mm -hmm. I believe it is a trap. And God is like, stay away from that stuff because you don't want to be guided by some artificial um fortune telling yeah or be guided by even real fortune telling i do believe that people are psychics and mediums but i believe we should stay away from them yeah i believe that people can be given discernment and obviously through the holy spirit and i think that you know sometimes i'll be thinking about someone and then they'll pop up like in my life or in some way a story is related to me about them and it will be truly like you know the other day i was praying in the sauna and i was like you know what and my dad just kept coming up in my head i was like i should give him a call and i called him and he had covid and i was like dang and your dad wild had managed to go through up until this point the entire thing without getting covid yeah your dad's very healthy he yeah. eats very good and he runs a lot so well, I was sort of, I mean, I wasn't happy that he got COVID, but it was sort of inevitable. We all got to get COVID out here. And I'm, there might be people that disagree, but I do think you're going to get it. You can't keep running. I probably had it four or five times. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I think that I get more sick now because my appendix is gone. This is something that I talked to a doctor about one time and that it has the appendix. The purpose of the appendix is to try to take bad bacteria out of the body, bring it into the appendix. And there's bacteria inside of that and it neutralizes the bad bacteria, which is why when it, uh, burst, if you're, if it does rupture in your body, it, it often contains a lot of bad bacteria because it's trying to be neutralized. So now it's all released into your body all at one time. A lot of this may not be accurate, but I, I feel like there is some truth to this. And so when you're, you no longer have the appendix, then you no longer have that place for the bad bacteria to go and get neutralized in. And I think you have a tendency of having more stomach uh, issues as well as getting sick more often. I hate that for you. Because I think a lot of sickness is, and maybe not all of it. I mean, there is some research out there where people don't even believe in, um, you know, um, uh, viruses, you know, and I don't know if any of that's true. And they don't believe in contagion theory that you can transfer sicknesses from people to people. Um I forget what that's called. And I don't know if any of it's true. I've read a million things and I don't know what to believe about anything anymore. But um, um, I, uh, but I just, uh, you know, I, I, so I don't know what makes people sick, but I do think a lot of times sickness is your body detoxing from things. Um, 
because I think that if you've ever gone through a heavy detox, uh, you do have, you can feel sick because you're detoxing. So, you know, a lot of times if you have a fever, people want to take medicine to drop the fever, but the fever is actually your body's way of combating whatever's going wrong with your body. And I'm off in a tangent, but this has been a great podcast and I've really enjoyed doing this with you. My Netflix is, my, my special working man is now on Netflix. It's free for you to go and watch at any point in time. Tell your please, friends. Please watch it. Tell at least one friend about the special. Let Let's blow it up. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate all your prayers. Uh, I thank you for the emails. I've gotten some very nice emails lately, and I really appreciate you guys. Uh, thank you. We're having a good time. <laughs>